0: Hello, and welcome to The Bravest Kind, a podcast featuring behind-the-scenes stories of fearless individuals demonstrating bravery and kindness in their everyday lives. I am your host, Ryan Schaefer, and I'm a firefighter and EMT with the Kirkland Fire Department located just outside of Seattle, Washington. We've got a fun one today for all you reality television fans out there. My guest is Jerry Ferris, and we discuss our shared experience participating on Season 3 of the ABC reality show, The Bachelorette. Jerry and I exchange stories of what it's like to be a participant on a reality television show, the importance of saying yes to the moment, and unlikely outcomes that occurred from being on the show over 15 years ago. And Jerry had me cracking up multiple times throughout the interview, especially when he tells a story about a chance encounter he had with Bobby Brown, yes, that Bobby Brown, at a bar soon after The Bachelorette finished airing that ended with a case of mistaken celebrity identity. Aside from lots of laughs, Jerry is both introspective and thoughtful, and while we do take a trip down memory lane, we do so from the perspectives of our roles now as husbands and fathers. There's plenty in this one for everyone. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Give it to me again. I feel like that's the uh, that's the David Letterman... Uh,
1: Oh uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know what it's like it's like whenever there's a dad joke, <laughs> and then it, then the follow up is <laughs> get ready to use that a lot.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: it is all I, good. Uh, I, I got to hear intro. Oh. And I'm back with Mr. Ryan Schaefer. Oh come on, come How's on. That? get out of here radio stuff right
0: that is is unbelievable god you're so smooth so well produced uh all right so jerry ferris is with me today and full disclosure here for those listening this is actually our third attempt i believe at doing this so i had jerry and wendell jisa A couple other guys that i was on the bachelorette season three of the bachelorette with over 15 years ago and we must i think i have three hours of recordings between yourself and wendell and me from last week uh which was hilarious and really nice catching up with everybody and then i was like i don't even know how i'm gonna get through this wendell was being super dad managing three kids while we were going through the interview. So I finally just reached out to you both and I was like, how about we do two episodes? I'll just talk to you each one-on-one and we'll do it as a two-parter. So that's That's where we are.
1: Wendell was basically speaking through the whole <laughs> podcast last time anyway. So it's nice to get a word in.
0: That's fair. You even told me when I reached out about this. You're like, I don't know if you and I are gonna gonna be able to get a word in with wow. And I was like, Yeah, we'll just make a little Wendell sandwich, you know, you'll be you'll you'll do the intro, I'll do the conclusion, and we'll let Wendell carry the <laughs> middle of it. And that's pretty much what happened.
1: But who else would you rather listen to anyway? I mean, he's so awesome. No, you
0: you just cut him loose. Just cut him loose. I could listen to Wendell talk. I mean, we basically did. He went on about a 10, 15 minute story of his wife getting into birding, which had me in tears. It was more of a rant. (laughs) It was more of a rant. It was unprompted. And yeah, I don't think you or I said a word. We basically just sat back and laughed the entire time.
1: (laughs) To be fair, ever since that conversation, I've been looking up birding. And so it's actually very interesting. It is, and you want to know something? Same.
0: I was actually talking to my wife about it after. She's like, "Yeah, no, that sounds actually very peaceful and such a cool thing. I, I would like to get into that." So I think I think Val's onto something with her birding store that she's looking into doing. It's it's pretty big out here in Seattle, as you could probably imagine.
1: I don't know how many birds there are here in West Hollywood, <laughs> other than those electric scooters, but like. <laughs>
0: What are the, what, the crows? It's a different kind of bird. It's a different kind of birding experience in Los Angeles.
1: Totally to different.
0: <laughs> totally different. <laughs> right on. All right. Well, Jerry, I'm glad we could finally do this. Uh, we both have coffee in hand. So Jerry and I were on season three, as I said, of the Bachelorette together. Jin Sheft was the Bachelorette, and we were amongst the uh, 25 guys. And we filmed this at the end of 2004, and it aired in 05. So 16 years ago, if you can believe it. And what was really cool about when your yourself and Wendell and I got together last week, it was as though time hadn't even passed.
1: That's why when people ask me if I think that this show works, mm. um, I say yes because it's it's like meeting you then and seeing you 15 years later feels the same. I mean, you're 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 I love you the same. It's yeah. crazy. To me. Yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. I, I, likewise.
0: likewise, and, w- and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, as we go through this and just that surreal experience and that unique shared experience. But there's no doubt it created a, a pretty cool bond, especially with a handful of us that have kept in touch. So let's go back to the beginning here. Let's set the stage. I'm curious as to how you even got involved in the show. I don't know that we've ever talked about that. What was that moment how did it come about how did you decide to do the show and was there any fear for you of doing a reality dating show
1: yeah that's a great question you know it, there, there was a series of of things that happened and uh, the long story short of it is um I live here in la and a friend and i both were approached by casting on two different occasions and weeks apart and it was just so random that my friend had said to me he was like well why are you passing up on this opportunity? Why don't you just say yes to the moment? It's not like you're going to get picked and then you know flown somewhere, proposed to somebody, <laughs> and have your life change overnight or anything. Just just see what it's like to go meet with these producers and stuff. Go go say yes to the moment, and I did. Uh, and as it turned out, that's exactly what happened. You, yeah, that's exactly you, you got what chosen,
0: You proposed, and your life completely changed. <laughs> so.
1: It was. It was. So surreal. And, and part of the yes to the moment, what was fascinating to me was I left Manhattan after September 11th and I had not been back.
0: And you're from and, New York, just for our listeners, you're from New York originally, right? You grew up in upstate
1: New York. Yeah, I, grew, I, I, grew up in, yeah, I grew up in Rochester, New York mm-hmm. in upstate New York. My, my family's still there. My, my mom still lives in the house that I grew up in and in, in Brockport. And, uh, and I lived in, in Manhattan. I lived in Battery Park. And uh, after 9-11, um, my apartment was considered a crime scene. So I moved out to L.A. Gosh, it was supposed to be six months, maybe a year. And uh, here we are uh, 20 years later. It's unbelievable to even think that. But um, yeah, yeah. so that's, that's, that's what happened. Yeah. Well, it is interesting
0: how everyone ends up on there. I was So I was actually working. I say working, attempting to work in the entertainment industry. And I was doing a lot of extra work and substitute teaching. And so a lot of the a lot of the group that I rolled around with also worked in the industry. And I had a buddy that was a producer, a commercial producer, actually. And he submitted my name to the show unknowingly on my behalf. And so, yeah, I got a call from one of the producers or casting directors or what have you and invited me down for... An interview, an audition, and likewise, there was a little bit of trepidation there. But I, I like how you say that with "yes to the moment" because I think that's really important throughout life when these unique experiences and moments do come about. Uh, I mean, saying yes to them and jumping at the chance.
1: Yeah, until you until you do it, you don't really know what you're missing, right? Like mm-hmm. this was a, a wild ride, and I know we'll we'll get into that experience. Yeah. But like, I, I had not been back to Manhattan since I left. And this kind of forced me to go back and 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 uh, face some demons and and uh, take a look at you know uh, you know realize that life has moved on and things are okay mm. since nine eleven and and I would not have done that maybe not as soon as I did if if the show didn't take me back and. If you remember, that was the first time they had filmed outside of the mansion. I, I don't know if they have filmed since outside of the mansion. We might have made it such a terrible experience for them. <laughs> Mike yeah. was like, no, no, we got to keep these kids in my house. Like we are, We're never taking them out again. <laughs> no it's so true
0: yeah so everybody knows yeah typically this show is filmed in los angeles in a a mansion in la sprawling pad with a pool and we actually were in the heart of manhattan in what maybe like a six-story old
1: brownstone and and we were all on top of each other and then they had the The crew and the camera guys and the writers and and all the producers were all living in that house at the same time. It just crammed it. And all we had, really all we
0: had for entertainment aside from alcohol was a ping pong table and each other. Well, and each other, obviously. I mean, loads of entertainment there. But I mean, pretty much Forrest Gump
1: at ping ping pong after that show.
0: That was a ping pong.
1: At least you got good at ping pong. I got good at (laughs) drinking. It was like. It was un- like that what was it it was like well it's 11 30 yeah. what do you want to do I'm like, well crack open a beer and yeah do a shot of t- let's yeah go for that yeah exactly no it's a, it's a it's nervous a- eye twitch i don't know what you went like midway through the <laughs> taping probably like three, <laughs> three four into this thing and i had this nervous eye twitch it was just like non-stop blinking the whole time <laughs> like what's going on with jerry over there <laughs> <laughs> to get away, like go away i was like oh my god this what is going on with my eye <laughs>
0: It's got the alcohol trimmers going on. (laughs) Must have now. So Jerry, was there anything in particular when you decided to do this that you were hoping to gain from the experience? Did you expect or think or hope that you might come out of this show with a fiance and ultimately a wife? Or did you have any
1: thoughts going into it along those lines? You know, it it was early on. It was new. I don't know if we knew much about the show. I mean, we were on the third season. Uh, If you think about it, the current bachelorette was probably 14 or 15 at the time. So it was a while ago, right? Um, so I didn't know what to expect going on to the show. But back to what my friend Michael was suggesting, you know, it's just saying yes to the moment was what I was, and I've always kind of done. So um, I wanted the the experience. I was open to the experience. Um, I was mm-hmm. in a relationship when I lived in New York with somebody that, that I really cared about. And, and, um, and, You know, we we and it just it didn't work out, and so um, maybe this was meant to be. I mean, all all the signs led to this was meant to be. I mean, again, we went back to New York. The jeweler was a uh, instead of Neil Lane, it was a jeweler that I worked for at the time. I mean, everything was making me believe that this was supposed to be. Yeah, it was. You know, Um, and and Jen was great. You know, she was she was she was she was a cool girl, and and uh, I think that all of that stuff made it pretty easy. Um, To answer your question, I guess, I I didn't go into it, and there wasn't a lot of time. My understanding was was I was kind of one of the, the last guys selected to go onto the show, and it was relatively fast. I mean, you go through the medical checks, then the mental health checks, and then... Dude how much how much background checking was there it, it was insane wasn't it like you said
0: i think we had to pay yeah, medical that check background check, i mean financial records checking to see if you declared for bankruptcy i mean doing like blood work I, it was i felt like i was applying to join the fbi or the cia or something
1: it was yeah, crazy like how lame i was like they came back and like that's it you don't have anything else <laughs> <I don't> no <know. laughs> But after that, after the the psych test, my friend picked me up. And when I got into the car before he could even say anything, I said, just don't even ask me another question. I don't I don't want. How was it? I don't want. How are you doing? Yep. That was just five hours or six hours of a- answering questions. Please just tell me how you're doing. And let's just go. I don't want a single question. Nothing. Right. Not what's for lunch? Nothing. <laughs> for another day. No questions. Can't take it. So, so our listeners know here.
0: I mean, if they're not familiar with Jerry Ferris, he was ultimately the chosen one. Uh, you you got the last rose. I was a I was a mere distance third place. If we we're to put rankings on this, still on the podium. But although I often think somehow, in some ways, I I got out the best, kind of unscathed. I had the full experience of being in on there on pretty much all the all the episodes. Got you know hometown date, overnight date, but did not actually have to get down on a knee on national TV to propose. So I want to talk about that a little bit because you were the last man standing and you did ultimately go and find a ring and went to propose to Jen. And I would love for you to share a little bit with our listeners about that experience and what ultimately transpired.
1: Well, yeah. I guess technically, I was the last man kneeling, from my understanding. <laughs> <KT was laughs> that's fair. Neighbor. Maybe not last man standing. That's that's, that's a better way of word. I didn't quite make it all the way down to my knee. There was there was so knee. close. I was so close. Oh. I was so close. I, so, I, talking mean, about it,
0: walk us through this these these final moments here. Uh, shopping for the ring, leading up to this. How nervous you were? Were you were you prepared and ready for this? Were you wanting to? propose or did you feel as though you had to because that's what the show is and that's what they're looking for
1: well I'll, I'll take it back to the ring shopping okay that was a moment that you know you don't really see on on television well now neil lane will show up with a briefcase and he's, <laughs> you know, he's very charming he's like <laughs> and, um, but what was amazing was um, for me, it took me back to my old job and I, I re- I'll never forget walking through those doors at Harry Winston for the first time since I moved out of Manhattan and my whole team was standing there, like the staff and people I had not seen in a long time, people that I missed and, and just couldn't wait to go hug. And I was really excited. All so the lights where, So
0: this is where you worked prior to moving out to where Los Angeles. I worked this is prior. the actual jewelry store that you used to, you used to be an employee of.
1: Correct. I, I worked for Harry Winston, and and then as I walked into the store, everyone's standing, and they're just so excited, and I walked in smiling. <laughs> and like, Jerry, how are you, man? I'm like, oh, guys, I missed you so much. And they were like, get out of the way. The bachelor's coming. <laughs> and then it hit me. I was like, oh, <laughs> they're just really waiting for this bachelor to come walking in and man, the look of disappointment on their face when I told him, I'm like, it's me. That's me. I, I am him. I am him. And they were like dying, laughing. We had to redo my entry.
0: <laughs> that the is first, hilarious, man.
1: There was like a version of like me walking in and not anyone knowing me. And then, uh, the version of like, Oh my God, we're all reunited. Cause it did play into the whole narrative that like, this was, this was really meant to be. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so we sat down and we're looking at these rings and there's these beautiful rings. And at that time, Harry Winston wanted to introduce like, this is going to sound absurd, but like a, a lower price point. They realized mm-hmm. that they're losing clients to Tiffany's because once you buy an engagement ring at Tiffany's, then you're, you're there at the beginning of the relationship and forever. And so um, they started making these beautiful rings. And, the, and that was part of what we were working on together as the team. And but it was the first time I had a chance to get to see them actualized, like like a real tangible ring. Yep. And I knew the one ring that they wanted was this gorgeous three stone past present future ring. And then thinking of the whole narrative and everything that's going on, that was the ring that I chose. So that's what I picked and um, walked away with with this gorgeous ring in my in my pocket. Fast forward to um, the limousine ride on the way. the proposal
0: okay so this is this is it this is the moment this is the crescendo the apex of the show what everyone is ready for and waiting for
1: yeah everybody
0: but me i was so (laughs) nervous oh dude i couldn't imagine i mean think of how nerve-wracking it is proposing
1: in like privacy yeah well listen it it was what was amazing was you know they do those little they those contemplative shots where you're ironing your shirt i wasn't ripped like you so they probably had you in (laughs) Power. trust me trust me i was not ripped i was actually
0: very thankful to be in our a setup in new york without a pool that was oh
1: god oh but they had us play that basketball they game did have us
0: play the shirts and skins and basketball like,
1: <laughs> oh really it's like i was rocking a dad bod before i was a dad you know? <laughs> before it was cool <laughs> oh yeah yeah i was like oh crap how'd i get on that team over there that's so bad anyway so 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 yeah, you're right. So there, this is the moment, and and uh, they, you know, I'm staring off into the, this rainy day and ironing my shirt, and, and the camera guy looks at me after that take, and he goes, Jared, like, he looks, so, he looks so nervous, man." And I'm, you know, the whole time I've been trying to play it cool, and I'm like, "Well, I am." He goes, yeah. "Are you nervous that she's gonna say no?" Like he was, yeah. he just believed we were meant to be together. Yeah. And my mind, like, oh my god, I'm just nervous. She's gonna say yes. Like, yeah. what am I? Gonna- do like what is going to happen after the show? What are we doing? What are we committing to?
0: Crazy. Okay. So you're in the limo. You've done your, you did your contemplative shots, what looking longingly or introspectively out through the window uh, or something of of that nature as you're driving to. And then talk to me about that moment before exiting the limo and then actually walking. What what do they have? Like probably a huge red carpet laid out for you to propose. Give me those, Give me those moments right up to, and then to the moment of the proposal.
1: So after you ironing your shirt, <laughs> <And> <laughs> that was the first new suit that I had the whole season. I don't know if oh you God. had that experience, Dude. but you remember <laughs> during the show, we would swap ties? Yes. yes. I had to buy a suit to go on the show for one. I think I had one suit
0: and then I would just intermix some different colored shirts and some ties. And then oh, I remember right. as we progressed through that show, and especially once it gets down to... so. Viewers probably aren't aware, but it goes from twenty five down to four, and everyone's in the house still during that during that time, and that happens quick. I mean, I think we went from twenty five to four in what, about two weeks or something like that, Stay and clear. then down to the final four, which was uh, Jerry, uh, John Paul, and myself and Wendell, who we just just talked about a moment ago. Then we were put into separate apartments throughout the city, and we had they called it a handler. It was basically a producer from the show that was like our chaperone because we weren't supposed to be able to do anything. We weren't supposed to go use a phone to contact people. Uh, So we had to do everything with our, with our handler, with our uh, chaperone. Uh,
1: It was pandemic training before we knew (laughs) the pandemic was coming. (laughs) It really was. It really was pandemic training. Uh, Total Um, isolation, except for you and and the handler. It was like such a terrible name for somebody. But like, I I had this guy, uh, Jonathan, and he, he was like, I don't know if you knew Jonathan. Well, Jonathan or not. was great. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. Jonathan was awesome. His smile and his energy, and he just was very upbeat, and optimistic, and I, I love seeing him. It, but man, what a crazy circumstance! I know, right?
0: So anyway, I lost my train of thought on where I was going with that. I think I had a, I think, I think I had a reason for, uh, for bringing that
1: story. Well, I was, I, was, I think, I, what I was doing was just trying to avoid answering a question, which was, what was that? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, walk us through that. Well. Look, it's an exciting day. It's after weeks of filming, 24-7. You know, you, you, you would hear a creak in the floor. You, you, you take the pillow off the top of your head, and you look, and there was a camera person looking at oh you. My like, gosh, oh, my gosh, right? I know. So now it's here, and here's the moment. And I'm trying to figure out wh- how I feel and, and uh, what's going on. And you're just filled with all kinds of emotion. Um, and we don't get a lot of time, one-on-one time, with, with her, So it was difficult Mm. to really get on the same page, you know, and, and so you're just not sure. And every, there was so many twists and turns throughout the whole season. Um, but anyway, you just want to try to be true to yourself as, as as true to yourself as you could. And anyway, I'm in this limousine and it's taken a really long time. We're just like circling lower Manhattan and we pick somebody up on the side of the road and he gives me the ring and he says, Oh, bud." uh, this is the, this is man, what this is. It's been really great getting to know you. This is the moment. It was great seeing your love story kind of unfold. Um, you know, can you, she's right now, she's, she's saying no to the other guy and she's just really excited about your future and you guys getting together and where this could go. Um, so when you walk in, there's going to be a long red carpet, there's going to be candles She's going to be standing there in this this white or kind of off-white dress, and um, there's going to be more cameras than you've ever seen in your life, but don't worry. Um, It's just your moment, um, and and try to enjoy it. But we need you to say three things. One, um, her name. Two, uh, this was fate. And uh, three, will you marry me? And I'm like, okay. And he hands me this ring box. I open the ring box to take a look at this ring, and they're filming the whole moment and you're supposed to. It's like that product placement moment where you open the ring box and there's a little sparkle, and you're like, ding. You know, here. <laughs> I open it up and I slam it down. And I was like, whoa. Uh, you know, Mr. Producer, this is the wrong ring. And he was like, what do you mean? I'm like, this is not the ring that I picked. I. I it was the three stone ring. It was the it was one. The pa- it was the past, present, and future. Come on, it's it's the the present, you future. nailed that. And man, uh, he looked at me. and goes, oh, oh, oh. It's not the ring that that you picked. It's the one that she wanted. <laughs> Like oh my god okay and then and I'm like well, okay and what are those three things again and the the car stops and he and I said and he was like and he kind of leans back and I said when does this happen he goes now and then the door opens up and and I'm, I'm like I, I had no time to kind of just get my thoughts together and and the camera's there and I don't know if you remember this but one of the our, one of the things they taught us every time you get out of the limousine you look off to your left you reach down. You button one button as you're looking to the right. take a step forward, look straight and move on. And <laughs> I can't not watch the show now and not see that moment with every guy getting out oh of the limousine. God, you're
0: so right. I left. remember that the very first day meeting her that first time getting out of the limo and doing that. And I think I, I was fumb- now, I was like,
1: fumbling, I was fumbling with the button of my, of my coat. I was so nervous. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> and, and it's like, I do it now at the valet and, 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 you know, my wife is like, what are you doing? I'm like, that's, just this, is, cool. you know? this is my move, anyway, honey. This is my move. That's, that's right. the move. And, and so you do that. And then the doors, open up and it was filmed in an old bank and it was really quiet and the ceilings were high and the guy was right everything he said was there the long red carpet the candles she's standing at the end of it cameras are everywhere there was one a giant crane that was like it's in your face as you're walking forward so you're really just staring right into this this camera lens and you're like why are you so close like you you know you don't even know there's pimples or whatever's going on my my twitchy eye (laughs) So then I I see her and she looked great Mm -hmm. and she was clearly nervous. And I remember saying that and tried to connect with her. And then I'm like, what are those three things the guy said? Okay. So I'm going for it and I start to kneel down. I'm reaching into my pocket at the same time and her lips are kind of closed like a ventriloquist. She goes, are you doing what I think you're doing? Oh no looking at her like with my lips closed uh yeah i'm doing what you think i'm doing i'm doing what that guy said to do and she's like oh what are you are you doing what you think what are, and she was not expecting me to propose at least it didn't feel that way That's crazy then she, and then she went off into the darkness and so i stumbled back they told her let me ask you this real quick sorry to interrupt but do you think
0: they yeah. t- so they told you all of these things to say hey she's ready she's she, you know say these three things do you think they told her I don't hey, know. Jerry's not i not going to propose. I mean, it's so odd. It's almost like you guys were given two different. It's almost like you were led to believe this was what was expected of you, and it was almost like she was led to believe that you weren't going to be.
1: Man, you that. know, I, I, look, look. I felt like this whenever, depending on who you spoke to, it could have gone either way. It was like she's really in love. You guys are going to get married and have a great life together. To like, well, you better start thinking about Plan B. You know, whatever, whoever you spoke to. Leading up to it, it could have gone in a million different directions. In that moment, I thought that was the direction because it was like I I was standing there by myself, (laughs) all disheveled, candle wax on the back of my (laughs) pants. I was like, so I knocked over these beautiful, the set was like destroyed. I was like, you know, (laughs) you could hear the set designer like, oh, the fucker. So, you know, and then, and then. And then there, a producer came out and held my hand and, and there was zero eye contact and said, I, I, I'll never forget it. She, she held my hand and she said, millions of viewers. <laughs> like the first thing I heard. I'm like, what about me? She was like, millions of dollars. All for this moment. And I'm like, oh, my God, and I'm dying inside. She goes, don't worry, Jerry, we'll take care of you. And then she yells, Jen, <laughs> <laughs> like, what is happening? Oh my go God, dude. And, and I'm like standing in the circle of candles, right? Like, <laughs> oh no. like wax on my pants and she comes back out. And I'm like, this is not going the way I thought it was going to oh, go. Man. But I didn't have even a second to connect with her. I don't even know what happened. Oh. And, uh, and so as we start to continue on, I'm like oh, go back to those three things. And oh, I started man. to say what I was saying. And then it was almost like a cut moment. I mean, I literally, I think I blacked out. I don't even know yeah. what happened. But then it was like, that's a wrap. You know, all the lights came on. What? There's hundreds of people coming out of nowhere. My tie's getting taken off. The ring gets taken away. Like it was it was the night before Thanksgiving. So everybody yeah. was done filming and they wanted to go get go yeah. back to their families. It was just like Oh my God. Dude, I yeah. feel I
0: feel for Jerry Ferris of 16 years ago, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm
1: like Oh my goodness! Listen, man. I don't know. I mean, a lot of it was because it was you know you're you're you. It's just not a normal thing to be yeah. filmed twenty four seven. So. You know, like a lab rat, you're trying to figure out, what is, how do I behave? What do I do? Like, how much of this is really me, and how much am I mm-hmm. you know, committing to, and, and what is happening? And and uh, am I on this spiritual trip? Like, am I supposed to be saying yes to the moment? What is the moment yeah. am I saying yes to? You know, yeah. you just don't know. It's, it's what, so crazy. what
0: about after? I mean, so, so that's a wrap. That basically... Just dead in the tracks right there. Here you go down for a proposal, and then it's like lights are on, everyone's ripping microphones off and going separate ways. When did you next talk to Jen? And what kind of conversations happened after after the filming? Again, I don't think I've ever really had some of these we conversations had, with you.
1: We we had that that evening and okay. and um somebody somebody allowed us to use their apartment. One of the producers had an apartment downtown that mm-hmm. they were staying, she wasn't okay. going to use And i think i think that you know so we had that i it was really a lot of that was a blur afterwards because it just you know i i you just didn't know who to believe yeah. or what was happening you know and, and then this you're just overwhelmed with just trying to be on top of things for in a very intense way for so long you know yeah. and it just was you know i don't even know and so we were together then, and then, um, you know, that's that was the day before Thanksgiving. And as you mentioned before, that it doesn't air until January. Right. So you got between, say, November, right. December, you know, to kind of figure out where you're at with things. And then, um, you know, she and I had been touched via text or whatever. We we met up, and, and you know, like I said, I, I couldn't say anything bad about her at the time because, like, you know, she – she yeah. was going through it too. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And then, yeah. and and she and by the way, let's not forget. she had gone through it prior to us. She was one of us before. She That's was a right. bachelorette. That's she exactly was gone right in fire zone season season mm-hmm. so she, you know, and he chose her. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work out. So like I don't know to 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 be her in that moment at that yeah. time and with Bachelor Nation and everything that was going on, it was it was just a wild wild experience. Just yeah. crazy. It, 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 yeah, it really is. And like you said, it's hard to know
0: when you're going through that, it's hard to know what is real, what's not, what your feelings are. When you enter that house, your world is taken away from you. If you recall, there was no, I mean, this is before smartphones anyway, I guess, but still you couldn't have a cell phone in there or we didn't have access to a computer. We couldn't watch TV. It, it is definitely a study in psychology where you have these Twenty-five guys vying for this one woman, and you have no contact with the outer world. So it, it becomes a competition in a in 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 a, in a weird way, right? It's like you weird
1: yeah. Way. yeah it's like weird. you
0: want to win this. It almost like you want to win the, this prize in a, in a, in a way. And and like you said, and producers are feeding you stuff about what she's saying about you, and you're like, oh man, does she really like me? And do I really like her, or do I? And it, it, it is, you yeah. are inside, I was inside my head so much during the show and those few months up to airing. I can remember being a mess, even coming home and just that anticipation before it aired. It was not, not,
1: not, a pleasant well, ride guess, there for I a couple mean, months. Did, yeah. you, did you expect to bond with the other guys? Because I was the last guy walking into the house. And, you know, what people don't realize is that, you know, I, I believe I was picked up around 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. And the rose ceremony didn't happen until probably 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning. It it was a long day of trying to get to know people, not eating, drinking alcohol, um, and then trying to figure out who's on your team, who's not on your team, and then all while trying to see if you even like this girl. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, to answer your question, I did
0: not expect that kind of bonding. And in fact, I wanted to talk to you about that because I do feel as though... I made some legitimately good friendships and yourself and Wendell and Ben Sands, the, the three of you, I still, you know, obviously we don't talk regularly, but still keep in touch with from time to time. And like we are now, I do feel like when we talk and connect and occasionally Facebook message one another, it's a, it's a real friendship. And that is one interesting thing because again, on this show, so we, I, I think that first night, that first rose ceremony, like you said, you, you walk in just, fed alcohol throughout the night then you have that first row ceremony and wait, I think wait, yeah before you
1: even get there before yeah. you even get to yeah. being inside the house yeah. what was your limo like cuz i was with four other guys yeah. in my limo and we mm-hmm. were circling manhattan mm-hmm. i mean it, even at one point we needed a restroom break and we yep. like the steak, they we went to that bar right and, yep. and, and and like we all used the restroom and we took advantage and had a few shots before we got to the house.
0: Exactly. That's what I remember. I remember doing a lot of drinking before. I remember a lot of just hanging out. I remember our limo being stopped and we were just all outside the limo talking, I think waiting for probably the cameras and lighting and everything to be all set up. And just that anticipation.
1: I was so suspicious of everybody. I was convinced that one of them was like brother or somebody. There was one guy, I won't name any names, but he was pouring me a lot of drinks and I was I was always dumping them behind me in oh, the right. cooler inside the limousine. I'm like this guy's yeah. trying to give me waste. Yeah, no way. Um, well, that's one more thing. Like I said, you're just in your head
0: constantly, constantly. throughout the show. Like it not totally knowing is there a plant in here? Is one of these guys not actually is being set up through it's so
1: the crazy? I well, know well, it, it was wild. Was there a plant? Uh, maybe there was. I don't know, but I. I but do, did you plan out what you were going to say to her when you walked up to her and introduce yourself? Had I, you thought about that? I, I
0: I must have, but I don't have strong recollection of it. I just recall being incredibly nervous and thinking about that moment of exiting the limo, like you just said, and doing what I was supposed to do and getting that button nailed. And I just remember fumbling with my button. That's like, that's my distinct memory of getting out of the limo is fumbling with my coat button. Oh, man.
1: And, the, jacket, and the, the door to <laughs> the, the house opened up in the like in the opposite yeah, direction. That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, here's the thing about the show, because it is, you know, people ask me how much is real and how much is a TV show. And no doubt, there's writers and there's uh, scenarios are being scripted. But I never felt as though I was being told what to say. Maybe they would want us to talk about certain topics. I can definitely remember being told, like, hey, we need to discuss, especially as it was progressing and getting down. It was apparent. That I and you and whoever was going to be down into the final three or four is like, okay, we need you to bring up. Would you live in Chicago or where would you live and things like that. So I do remember com- they wanted us to talk about topics, but never directly like scripted. Like, here's what you need to. Oh, no, it well, was except not- except ex- 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 for your proposal, obviously, where you had your. Oh, even your- <laughs> with
1: that though, it's it's heavily produced, right? So like yeah. I, that that was always. My line was like, it wasn't, we didn't have a script, but it was like, it was produced. And there are storylines that are unfolding. And the the same guy that said, say yes to the moment, my friend, Michael gave me some other great advice going into the show. He was like, okay, they're going to ask you questions. Don't be the guy that gives them the answer that they want. I'm like, what do you, mean, Michael? And he goes, for example, when they ask you how many women you've slept with, your answer is my favorite color is (laughs) blue. I said, what the hell does that mean? He goes, Trust me. Then the moment comes up and you're in a your little interview and you're one-on-one and, and they're filming and they're talking yeah. and one guy's yeah. a virgin, the other guy is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, whatever it is, is yeah. like, and they're like, so, I yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> right. my favorite color is blue. It was like, I'm not telling yeah. you shit. And then it was like, Anything. and then storyline the for somebody else, but it, it wasn't me. It wasn't, yes, that wasn't good. That, so that's it.
0: Yeah. So a few things to unpack there. So let's first, so the kind of the friendship thing, what I noticed is, so you're in this house, it goes from 25 down to 15 guys that first night, I think 10 guys were cut on our show, that very first rose ceremony. So they never even moved into the
1: house. Not right? only that, and 15 was, of had, us, and I think they had five, it's my understanding that they had at least five backups still at the hotel when we yeah, all left in case. I think you're right. They never even went that far. Mm-hmm. Those dudes didn't even leave yep. the
0: hotel. Yep, yep. Never did. Never did. Got a free paid vacation out to or trip out to New York for a couple of nights and then turned around well, and zip you back didn't home have to pay the whole time, right? Like I guess until you,
1: you see you on TV, I guess it doesn't. Matter.
0: Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, so so then it goes down to fifteen, and then what they do? What I what really stood out to me is there were three bedrooms that were used in this house, and they put five of us in each bedroom. So just imagine, almost like. I mean, just barracks, right? Just simple twin beds, you know, almost uh, not quite bunk bed style, but more or less. Um, I had to
1: crawl over <laughs> Fabrice to get to my bed. That's
0: awesome.
1: That's <laughs> like, oh, so great. Picked, there's, it's, this dude walks in before me right like i mean everyone has watched big brother and, and there's those moments where or real world or something where yeah. everyone like runs to the room for i didn't even think that we needed to do that cuz no, i well, like who oh, God. Not, yeah, yeah. No, i didn't either yeah you're like you're on this floor and you walk <laughs> in, and there's like it's bunk to bunk side to side <laughs> it is it is and fabrice picked the one that was closer to the bathroom and there's a one on the inside of it and he just plops his stuff down i'm like oh i guess i'm taking the inside bed man so like Every night, before and after and everything, <laughs> I got to climb over the top of this dude that I've never met before, and go to sleep, and he never left. He was always waiting. He
0: never left. He was. He was the one guy that didn't really he didn't really socialize and hang out. Uh, other yeah. So, fifteen guys, three bedrooms. Now, what is interesting as it starts getting whittled down to twelve guys, to ten guys, to eight guys. You think then that would disperse? Oh, great, we now only have two or three per bedroom. But no, they would eliminate a bedroom. So when it got down to 10 of us or nine of us, we only had two bedrooms to occupy. When it got down to six, we were all crammed into one bedroom because again, they wanted to create this environment where we were constantly oh, yeah. talking. Oh, it, yeah. is, it, is, it is constantly talking about you. Do you remember sometimes too, it'd be like pitch black it, like middle of the night and we would have a conversation, maybe like there would just be talking, like you'd be talking to somebody in, in the bedroom. And then all of a sudden you hear that, you hear all these footsteps and movement from the floor where all the camera people and script writers were and come in and then the lights would be on in the bedroom. It's like, that was great.
1: We need you guys to talk about that again, and you're like, "What? That was that was it." You always knew that you said something relevant or bad when you heard those footsteps and the cameras showed up. Because again, I don't know what the mansion's like. I I don't know anything about how these guys maneuver there. Maybe there's more space, but in this tiny brownstone, there was nowhere to hide. So if you did say something, the whole crew to go from another floor to to come running over to like, oh, that was wild, and this big. Called it the squirrel, but that that boom would kind of dip <laughs> right like, down. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yes. You're like, where the fuck did that come from?
0: I know. Oh, it's no. like what It's like I one say? in the morning, and all of a sudden
1: you got the yes, yes, squirrel's squirrel boom squirrel.
0: right over your head, so you My can repeat some conversation you just had ten minutes ago. And by, the end end it, it.
1: Though, by the end of it, you're like, all right. Yeah. We were all, we were like, when you saw the squirrel come down, yeah. automatically we would just repeat the last sentence. Yeah. So we could exactly. just get back. It was like... Exactly.
0: Because then you just want to get back to living. So, okay. So here's the deal. I, again, about these friendships, I do think what's unique about the show is you would, you know, there would maybe be a date with Jen every, there would be a date with her every day, but only one person or maybe a, maybe a small group date. So you're only seeing Jen at the beginning, maybe once every three or four days. That means the other time, the rest of the time, we're just... In this brownstone, again with ping pong table and alcohol basically at our disposal and one another, so it, it did really create. Even though it was hard to make that connection with gin, because there was always a camera on and it was always in this date setting and overly produced setting, but behind the scenes at the house, there was a lot of time actually connecting and bonding, and I, and it was such a surreal and such a unique experience. And I, I you know, I. I I liken it a little bit to what I experience as a firefighter now with my current job. It is such a unique profession that I'm in. And we go on these sometimes intense calls and then you go back and and we live amongst one another. And so I sometimes feel like I have this connection and bond with my fellow crew members and fellow firefighters that I don't have with anybody else simply because I have these really powerful shared experiences with them that no one else can really relate to. And I think it's the same on what we went through on the bachelorette and i'm sure anybody that's been on a reality show of any kind nobody else can really know what goes on in there behind the scenes and so it naturally creates this bond with one another that we obviously have for life you know here we are 15 years later and it is still something that connects you and i and and as well as all the other guys that were in there and so i i you know, genuine, you know, true it, friendships did come from this show, which is really awesome. It was an adult sleepaway
1: camp. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. like, yeah. you know, it, yeah. you know, and a lot of us had productive lives. Maybe some did not. But, you know, we we had to kind of <laughs> run our business, you know, with a producer on the phone call. We got like, you know, we had an hour a day where we might be allowed to like I, it. I I could call into the gallery and check in and see what was happening. And and then, you know, somebody sat on the call and then after that, that was it. But the time was really focused on each other, you know, and, and and I'm grateful for that. Cause like you said, it's a a very unique bond that we all, all have. And, and uh, I haven't had it since and I'll probably never get that again. So That, that part's special. All right, Jerry, most
0: cringe worthy moment from the show or biggest regret, if any.
1: Oh man. Well, the cringeworthy moment, well, the first real cringeworthy moment, I think, was, was you had pointed out, we we had those, the, the product placement was strange. Oral-B or somebody had sponsored these finger Oh, condoms. my gosh. Yeah, I'll, I'll
0: jump in on that because it happened to me. Well, I think we all had to do it. But when I say it happened to me, I was the unlucky soul that actually it, it aired for me doing it. So, yeah, it was either Oral-B or Crest. And it was during the overnight dates if i recall which mine was to cape cod
1: oh see Is mine where, was the hometown date like oh, we, okay
0: well mine was given to me during the overnight date it and it was just
1: cuz i blew it and they were like oh man let's get Ryan he's yeah. got a great smile
0: so it was like this little almost like a little finger condom or something this little sleeve that you like a little finger puppet kind of thing that you put on your finger and then it was already preloaded with I guess the toothpaste or maybe it was whitening. I don't even remember or, or just a breath freshener, whatever it was. So they had me use it before it was right before I was actually meeting. It was this like romantic setup of a bonfire on the beach at Cape Cod with a lighthouse in the background. So then I have to basically brushing my teeth with this thing. And then, yeah, of course it, it, it airs. They show it for product placement purposes during the episode. And you know, I, probably, thankfully, this was before social media as it is now, and 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 so all there really were were message boards. I do you remember on message boards reading that people were like what was he do-? like? People didn't get it, right? There were a lot of people that didn't understand that that was actually forced upon me. Like, what is this guy doing? Doing this quick little, <laughs> you know, quick little brushing of the teeth with his finger prior I to going to being a Oh, that was so never embarrassing.
1: Ever caught on? I don't
0: know. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, no, that, that ranks up there pretty high for me with cringeworthy moments.
1: The other the, the one of the, okay. This one just kind of came to me. Yeah. It was the, oh gosh, the fantasy suite. Mm. That was cringeworthy. Yeah. Cause we were, we were in Hilton head and our fantasy suite was held at an old hunting lodge. Okay. And, It was hardly a fantasy unless you were like a, like a, like a, like a, just a animal killer. Remember when those doors opened up? I don't know what they did, but because it was an old hunting lodge, there was every animal you could think of (laughs) mounted on the walls. (laughs) And I don't know what they were doing, but they were just throwing lace to cover up. I'm like, I can see that dead squirrel. Like, that's a squirrel (laughs) with lace on it. It's not gone. It's there, so it was like a bear, a deer, or like whatever. I mean, roadkill. Everything was on the walls, and they're like, "Don't look at that. Just look how beautiful the fireplace is." And, the, and <laughs> the moment came. I remember, you know, here we are in this fantasy suite, and I'm like, you know, you, what do you do in this fantasy suite? And yes. I, I know watching it, what you do, but when you're in it, Dude, what do you it's, do? Again, again,
0: the the the, the mental the mental trauma of not knowing, well, what to act.
1: do I make a move? Is it, do I not make a move? <laughs> it, what, what secured the deal for me, dude, one was we, we finally had a moment where it was us and there's no well, cameras or that, nothing. That's Yeah. But, let me
0: just let the, let me let everyone know that's listening. This is, there are cameras on us literally 24 seven. The only time that, that you have some privacy is using the restroom, but only by yourself. If you recall, remember they said if you go into the bathroom with somebody else, they'll allow a camera in there. So only if you're in the restroom by yourself while in the house filming. And then the first time that you really have a moment with Jen is if you is this in this overnight suite. It's the first time that there's nobody around. That you it's just the two of you. So anyway, take it from there. But I just kind of want to set the stage
1: here. Oh, that for That was the story I was told as well. But then when we got inside and it's finally like, okay, we can finally eat, right? You watch the show, the contestants never eat. They always have this beautiful plate in front of them and a drink and nobody's eating because nobody wants food in their mouth when they're like saying something profound or ridiculous. So we don't eat. So they had this this plate of uh, fruit and stuff in there. And then I I was like, all right, cool. This is the two of us. And I'm like, this is the moment we should connect. And then, you know, who knows? And I started, I was thinking I was being romantic by sliding the couch just a little bit closer to the fireplace, yeah. you know? And um, and one of the cushions fell down. And behind the cushions were taped microphones. Yeah. And I was like, they're spying on us. Yeah. You know, and it was like, of course, the cameras weren't there, but right. then there was microphone, there were microphones everywhere. And I was like, oh man. So we used that time to talk and try to connect and all of those things, but I was still aware that that we were under surveillance so it was like even then wasn't fair i couldn't tell jen exactly how i was feeling i don't think she could have told me anyway you go upstairs and there's the bed the foot of the bed on a tripod was a camera mm-hmm. i was like what kind of freaky shit are you into girl <laughs> was like, what are we gonna do like like so the camera's there i don't know <laughs> what's, on, what's not you know i'm throwing like taking some lace off the dead squirrel and I'm covering the the camera with it, you know, I'm like, whatever. So we, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like, like, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, I know. look, if we are, meant to be, we'll have that moment later, but yeah. like, that was yeah. not the time for us. Uh, I, I agree. It, it's funny you say that because I
0: might've had the last of the overnight dates. I don't totally know, but I do remember on the mantle of the fireplace in, in the suite that we had, was, and it was hidden. It was almost like something you'd see out of a movie, you know, like where the cameras maybe inside the stuffed animal or something like that. It wasn't quite that hidden, but it was, they tried to cover, it was almost a handheld, just old school, I feel like handheld camera on the mantle, but they had, they tried to hide it. They have cushions or I don't know. and, And Jen, Jen was actually the one that noticed it. And like I said, I think we might've been, I might've been the last one. So she was Caught, caught on by this point. And I remember her going over and turning it off. You know, I remember playing Scrabble with her. <laughs> in our, and then I did a, uh, there was this uh, local uh, radio show in uh, Medford, Oregon, where I grew up and I would do a, an on-air interview with them every day, the morning after the episode would air. So once it was airing, uh, on TV. Uh, I don't remember what nights it aired on, uh, but regardless irrelevant the next morning. I remember. Monday. Okay. It, it was a Monday. Yeah. So was, Monday night it aired. And so Tuesday morning, I had this standing every Tuesday. I would go on and talk about that previous episode with this local radio show. And I remember as a, Progress. Like, so what did you get? You know, he's trying to get all the salacious details of what we did in the in the honeymoon suite and the uh, what have you? I was like, actually, we played Scrabble. He's like, Oh, that's what you kids are calling it now, huh? I was like, No, we we legitimately played Scrabble. Was a twister? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. So, Jerry, let me ask you this: Was it difficult for you to transition back to life after this? So we had this really intense experience that lasted for what about, about a month, maybe about six weeks, I think, when it was all said and done. And you especially being the one that was ultimately chosen and, and you talked about your proposal. Uh, having gone through this, what was life like after The Bachelorette for you?
1: Life after The Bachelorette was interesting because now you're holding on to this insane secret and you know exactly what what's going on. So that period between the time we filmed to when it finally aired was you're holding on to this crazy secret, but it wasn't really a secret because somehow all the gossip magazines knew about it. Like I, I was approached by the inquirer, you know, we had different magazines reach out to family members and, um, and, and they, they kind of knew the whole, they knew up until the, the final two and, and they were mm-hmm. digging to find out a little bit more. So that was, that was crazy. And then you have this 15 Minutes of Fame where, where once the show starts to air, um, I, you know, I never got the fans of The Bachelor confused with people rooting for me. There was a huge mm-hmm. difference there. Like, of mm-hmm. like course, there were people that were like, I hope you, you know, I'm, we're on Team Jerry or whatever. Yeah. Bachelor Nation Nation, Bachelor Nation, I can't even say it. Bachelor (laughs) Nation. Bachelor Nation. Bachelor Nation. Yeah, yeah. It it was like it was just massive, and and the show was really popular, and and um, you know, so that was weird. So you had to kind of figure out what's real, what's not, where your ego is, you know, because you're getting recognized, and and in a lot of cases, you know, as the season's progressing, you're getting more and more recognized, and um, but you couldn't get that confused with the reality because you're still that same dude, you know, you're not. You know, and, and we weren't the bachelor, we were on the show, like mm-hmm. we were one of the contestants. So, yeah. you know. but it was, it was a strange time. And, and then it became a little difficult because, because shortly after that, he, the gallery that I was working for had closed. Um, and so then you're kind of like, great. Now I don't have, I'm out of a job yeah. and I'm on the show and it's airing. It's not real time. This is months ago what do I do with this like what yeah. what do you do with this and then and then just as it went on it was just just the craziness ensued it just was crazy <laughs> crazy well,
0: <laughs> give me give me some insight man talk to me I have got my own stories and moments and things but um, what were some of the crazier post bachelorette moments that you had
1: well i mentioned i mentioned ego and 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 so one night we, I was out at a bar in Sunset and it was really like a really packed bar and it was the season finale just, I mean, it, it maybe had aired recently, but it felt like it was just yesterday mm-hmm. and in comes walking Bobby Brown <laughs> and What was crazy about that was everybody was talking about the Bobby Whitney story, like being Mm -hmm. Bobby Brown was this crazy reality show, and we were getting to know Whitney Houston in a way that we'd never known her before. And here is that guy, and as he walks into the bar, I'll never forget it. He points at me from across the room, and I had that look over my shoulder moment, like is he really looking at me? And he so and he just makes his way through all of these people, and he's signing autographs along the way. And he goes shoulder to shoulder next to me, belly up to the bar, and orders four shots of wild turkey and <laughs> says, Cheers. So we slam the first drink and he looks at me and he says, Whitney thinks you're adorable. <laughs> yes. And I'm going, Whitney Houston thinks I'm adorable. Like I love. Whitney Houston. And I'm like trying to play it cool. And I'm like, wow, no, so yeah, I'm a fan of you guys. And it's how, what's it like being on a reality show? He goes, it's being on a reality show is better than what I expected. In fact, we have pitched a show and you've come up in conversation because we watch every so Bob, single. <laughs> so Bobby Brown's
0: telling you that he and Whitney have just pitched a different new reality show aside from the one they're doing.
1: With me in mind as the as host. host of the okay. show. They're like, we watch you every single week. We think that you're charming and you'd be great for our show. Good. Do you have any, here's any your contracts? Here's your moment. And any contracts or any conflicts to doing another with doing another reality show? I said, well, technically, yes. And he says, don't worry. My attorney will be able to get you out of it. We'd really love for you to host our show. And I said, this is amazing. We proceed to drink for the next 45 minutes. And when I say drink, it was like straight to the face, wild yep. turkey. And I'm trying yep. to hang with this dude. And sure. we talked about everything like he was telling me things about whitney and him love ice everything Crazy.
0: And, and, the, I, and these these, these shots you, these shots you were not dumping into the back into a cooler you down no, i'm down not, in these.
1: I'm down on these and it was like yeah, you're and, hanging with bobby brown for crying out loud even to the point where bobby brown was like this will grow hair on your chest and i go to my chest and i don't even have a single <laughs> hair on my chest he goes, what kind of man are you and he showed me his hair on his chest and he asked the bartender what's sexier this or what this guy's got? And I'm like showing this bartender in my chest, with not a single hair on it, feeling like a little baby. Anyway, getting smashed. And and, and all of a sudden, in comes his attorney. So he was like, hey, man. He gives his attorney a huge hug. And and his attorney introduces himself to me. And he puts his hand out. And I say, hi, I'm Jerry Ferris. And I, and I shake the guy's hand. And it was like a record scratched. Bobby looked at me. And he goes, what did you say? I said, I'm, I'm Jerry Ferris. And I thought, man, what did I say? He goes, wait a minute, you're not the idol guy? <laughs> <laughs> and it hits me. It was like the whole time he thought that I was Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> the whole time. That's too much, man. Oh, so he of thinks he's Ryan. hanging with Ryan Seacrest. Yeah, and was going
0: like, this is the chance of my life right here.
1: Yeah, and and Whitney Houston's laying in bed watching me like collect roses week after week. <laughs> no, he thought I was talking to Ryan Seacrest. And the moment he realized I wasn't Ryan Seacrest, they left. <laughs> That did was pick, it. Did he pick up the tab for you? I left. I was like, I gotta go pay for those last hundred <laughs> shots. No way, I'm out of here. But I had a that was my moment, and I I remember walking home oh, four dude. in the morning, and I'm laughing. And four uh, meant seven on the East Coast. And I called my brother, and I'm like, oh, my, That is great. You gotta hear this. This just just put my ego in check. That
0: is great, dude. That is so funny. That is that is hilarious. Well, I tell you, I tell you a moment I had. I mean, I know we all have. A lot of them. Mine, mine did not deal with a celebrity encounter at all, but I remember So like you said, one of the more surreal things is this is to go on this show. I mean, some guys had full blown careers going. I know you said like your gallery shut down, but There is this lag between doing it and when it airs, and so I was doing a lot of extra work and substitute teaching and just piecing together jobs to to live in LA. And it was around this time that I was actually giving serious thought to leaving LA, getting out of the entertainment industry, and just resuming life back up in the Northwest where I'm from. And and that ultimately turned out to be the plan. So you know, I actually left LA you know, here, Most people do a reality show and come from some part of the United States and then move to LA after I kind of did the reverse. I was living in Los Angeles, did the show. And then I was like, all right, that was, I've had my moment. We got a little 15 minutes of fame. And then I, I, I moved out. But yeah, there was this period while the show's airing that you still got to make a living somehow. So I was still wow. picking up extra work jobs, still picking up substitute teaching jobs, which was talk about ego and talk about a little bit of swallowing to the pride. Cause here on one hand, you're on this national television show and getting recognized everywhere you're going. But I didn't have hardly a penny to my name, you know, I mean, just like no. scraping dollars together to, to make it work. So I had, so I picked, so my, I picked up this substitute teaching job at I kind of think it was Santa Fe middle school is in the Monrovia school district. And I had substitute taught there for a few years, but I was pretty checked out at this point. I was checked out of of, of just kind of uh, this type of lifestyle, barely getting by. I was ready to leave L.A. So I pick up the substitute teaching job in this middle school, and my sub-assignments were these kids are working on this project, you know, just kind of let them, it, it was a bit of a... Uh, a bit of just an ad hoc day for them. Let, Let them work. They've all got this construction paper. They're going to be presenting. It was some history project. So they can be coloring their posters and this and that. So great. So I'm in there and I bring a book with me, I remember. And I basically just let the kids have at it. I was like, here's your deal. Teacher says you're supposed to be working on these assignments for this presentation you're doing. Have at it. So I'm barely, barely keeping this room in check. If you can imagine... You know, a classroom of middle schoolers, seventh graders, probably just running amuck with a substitute teacher that really didn't care. At this point, that's the scene. And so, there was a group that had music going on in the back. So they've got they've got music <laughs> blasting from the corner. There's kids thrown about the room. Kids are throwing markers at each other. Kids are dancing to the music that's going on. I'm just sitting at my desk with my nose in my book. I don't even care. I'm like, so long as nobody gets hurt or a fight doesn't break out, we're cool. So nose is in my book, all of a sudden I hear, Mr. S, Mr. S, you know, it was one of those like couple, uh, oh, yeah, what? And another kid runs over and turns off the music. So all of a sudden room goes quiet, like dead quiet, music's off, not a kid's talking. I look up and there's a police officer in the room. And I was like, oh my God, you know, and this is the campus. He's the, he's the campus guy. He's a, he's a Monrovia police officer, but he's this liaison between the school district and and MPD and kind of a community community outreach type of deal. He's like, uh, Mr. S, can I have a word with you? And this is the police officer saying that. And every, all the kids are like, ooh, Mr. S is in trouble, Mr. S. And so I walk out there, and I'm thinking, my God, you know, I've been substitute teaching out here for three years, never a, a, a never a write-up, never a bad word, and I'm, I'm going to get fired from, like, this is my last straw here. I'm barely holding on with this job, and I'm going to get fired from being a substitute teacher. So we go out into the breezeway, <laughs> and the police, he has a, I don't know where he got it. He must have printed it up online, but he has this, like, promo from the bachelorette, a promo picture, headshot of me. He's like, "Hey, do you mind oh, signing God. this? Because <laughs> do you mind signing this? My wife is a huge fan of the show <laughs> if of yours." Oh, you I think just like walked out
1: of there and he's asking I, I for was, an autograph?
0: Well, exactly, right? So I'm thinking he's gonna I'm gonna get my balls busted here for having no oversight of this classroom, <laughs> and instead he just wants an autograph, and that's the end of it. And then I go right back into the classroom and party back uh, on music goes back on and off to the we go so oh
1: my god I, I think if i could if it, you know man we should have had these conversations a long time ago because it would have saved me a lot of uh therapy but um <laughs> you know i i it, i regret holding on to it and so, so tightly because yeah. i was so precious with it and i was worried about uh, man it, it was it was crazy it was just a crazy time and opportunities are coming and 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 you know, deserved or not deserved, it was it was wild, and you're like, "What do I do with this platform um What, what, what can I do with this?" And like you said, it's it, you know it costs money. I mean, I was getting invited to premieres and things I'm like, yeah. "I don't have a new outfit. like what are you going right. to do?" And, and, and so you, like you run to the you know Nordstrom or Bloomies or something, and you're like, mm, let's leave the tag on and yeah. return it tomorrow." Yeah. Um, but that's what it was, and, and there was no end game. That was the that was what was hard. It was like they didn't have an idiot's guide to post reality TV. Yeah. So it was like, what am I? What what does this mean? Like, what am I meant to do with with this moment? What it's are some crazy. things that you did? What were some unique opportunities that came about
0: for you from being on the show? Well,
1: the the the, the gift was um, I was contacted by uh, an organization called Coda West, and Coda means child of deaf adults, and they contacted me to see if I would come and speak at a kids camp, uh, okay. kids who have deaf parents. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know what that meant. And, and it, w- it took 30 years for somebody to tell me that I was a coda. <laughs> and I was like, I, I reached out to my mom. And I'm like, mom, did you know that I was a coda? And she was yeah, like, Obviously, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> why didn't you tell me? Like I got this camp reaching out to, me. I want you to speak at this camp, but I didn't even know what the term meant. And, yeah. and this is who I am apparently. Yeah. Anyway, the, the great gift was, is none of us, I mean, I guess none of us got the girl, but it did introduce me or reintroduce me to the deaf community in a way mm-hmm. that I hadn't bonded with before. And then you start to realize the power of television. And so I was receiving letters from kids who had deaf parents or deaf mm-hmm. parents that had kids. And, and it was incredible. I mean, at one point, I remember somebody from the network had called and said, Jerry, you need to come pick up your mail. and and Again, it wasn't. It was before all these other platforms. Would people could reach yeah. you directly or DM you or whatever. But like at that time, you know, I was getting handwritten letters, and, and I I said just forward it to me. Now you got to go pick this up. And he went and picked up, and it was like three of those like mail courier bags yeah. of letters. And I wow. just sat on my floor, and I was reading these letters, like handwritten letters from kids, oh, wow. and they yeah. were so proud of me for sharing my mom on national television. And to me, she's my mom. Okay. I mean. My mom's an incredible woman who happens to be deaf. I mean, we sign language just happens to be my first language, Mm -hmm. but that's it. You know, I I just didn't see it in any other way. But it was to a lot of people, it was for the first time they were seeing somebody like them on TV. So that was my big gift of the show, like, was that. And so I kind of made that my mission. And um, I, I then went to volunteer more. I then went and partnered up with a language service company where we grew the company from a small 250 person operation to 6500 people wow. providing interpreting services for hospitals and prisons and and all of oh, that wow. so that that was the gift. That was that was the cool thing. Oh, that's a huge gift. That's really cool, Jerry. I, I didn't know all that. I mean, you had much more deep and meaningful than opportunities.
0: After for me, I think I emceed Miss Teen Oregon. I was uh, I was I was flown out to Atlanta by a radio station to uh, be a guest host for they call it the Mile of Men, and it's this. Like, I did, I, did I did. Oh my god. The guys basically line up they line up and are given numbers and women can drive by and be like oh I like that. I, I like number 18 or I like number 26. and then there was a there was a pre-plan these guys would have a date that was donated maybe a, a, to a restaurant in Atlanta or maybe tickets to an Atlanta Braves
1: game so yeah, it sounds like you had a little bit more uh, some more meaning behind some of your opportunities I had to that. kind of counterbalance it because it was a lot of that craziness you know like I I, I there's a local radio show here in LA that was pretty popular. They had me on as a guest once and then the callers would call in and and it was less about me, but it was like more about relationships. And so and I forgot what they call it. It was therapy therapy Thursdays they used to call it. And then after the callers started calling when I was on, they started calling it Jerropy Thursday. So, <laughs> or I'm like trying to give relationship advice. And it was just Oh uh,
0: That's great. That is great. Uh, Jerry, talk to me about life now.
1: Life's great. Update,
0: yeah. What's 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 going on with you? Get us get, get me up to speed with with where you are now, where things
1: are at now. You're 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 married. I know you've got a kid. Yeah, you know it's crazy. That was the other thing that came out of the show. Um, I met my wife when I went to a restaurant in L.A. called Dominic's, and um, my friend wanted to take me out, and he said, "Look, now that you're not contractually obligated to stay quiet, I want to hear the dirt." So we mm-hmm. went to this we went to this restaurant and it was packed. There was a private event there and, and, um, and a waitress came up to us and said, I'm sorry, it's a private party. And we're like, Oh, we just want to drink by the fireplace. And I just want to just reconnect with my friend here. And, and she was like, let me see what I can do. So she sat us down and we proceeded to have conversations about what went on behind the scenes on the show. And I just, th- there was something a different, just something different about this girl. And, mm. uh, Ultimately, that's who I ended up marrying. I mean, years that's later, we're, we're we're together still, and we're raising a beautiful boy. He's he'll be eight in July, and um, I don't know. Life's life's pretty good, you know. I, I I do commercial real estate here in in LA, and while that was put on hold with everything else during the pandemic, I like you, I, I launched a podcast called "Thirsty for Knowledge" with my friend Corey, who's also a dad, and um, it's been crazy. It's been that's just. Now,
0: talk, Now, you just talked about being uh, a CODA, a uh, child of deaf adult, and I know that your podcast, which is called Thirsty for Knowledge, right, and it's very unique because you have incorporated sign language into your podcast, yes? Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's crazy because podcasting is inherently for people who could hear, if you think about it, right? And the whole industry is exploding and and anyone who has a microphone and a headset, um, can have a podcast. And so, uh, for me, it was, it was, Wait, so it's, it's not just you and I, we're not the only two doing this platform. And do I wish <laughs> if it is just you and I, then our numbers should be a hell of a lot better than that. <laughs> That's fair. Anyway, we, we, yeah. So, so look, I, I started this podcast and, and my mother-in-law, um, had asked me if she could listen to one of the episodes and I was able to share it with her. And my mom, who's deaf, Said, oh man, I'd I, I love to hear that conversation. I wish I could hear it. Um, it's too bad I couldn't watch it. And then mm-hmm. I had the light bulb moment. I said, wait a minute. How do I make my podcast accessible to the mm-hmm. deaf community? And, and as I started to reach out, we found out that nobody, other than just providing closed captioning, um, was just offering a genuinely authentic, a uh, piece of entertainment uh, or a podcast i should say that is accessible to the deaf community and what we're doing is we teamed up with this company called Sign Optics and what they've done is they freed that interpreter that you normally see in the little corner mm-hmm. you know when you watch press yeah. conferences or whatever sure. they have then put them into the foreground and so we have a cast where there's a guy that is my interpreter and he's going to be in every episode and there's a guy that is his name is Michael Spady, who is an actor here in LA. That's going to be Jacori's interpreter for every episode. And then we try to find an interpreter who would kind of represent the guest. And so now as a deaf person, you can watch our podcast in American sign language and not have to look for the closed captioning or look for the interpreter in the corner and say yeah. who's talking or who, whatever. So it's just like this free flow conversation in sign language. It's amazing. We're, we're really having a lot of fun doing that. Oh, that's great, Jerry. Oh, it's, it's great
0: that you're continuing to, to use that platform that you have to it's, continue it's reaching gift. out. It was,
1: it's a gift to me. It's crazy. And, and, and I think, you know, we hope to show other podcasts that it's possible and we hope to kind of mm-hmm. change the industry in that way. Uh, it takes work. I mean, we we hire deaf talent. Um, our interpreters are also deaf, and and mm-hmm. they're, they're actors and activists and teachers and parents and stuff. But they are getting behind what we're trying to do, which is which is great. So, um, you know, I, I can't deny that part of me. It keeps kind of coming up, and yeah. and uh, and that's and where, where I, should you? I mean, it is it, yeah. like you said, it's part of you. It's your first language. It's my I mean, first you language. You should embrace and, it. And, and here we are in a, in a in a in a in a. What's funny is 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 you know, sign language is a visual language, but during the pandemic, I think for hearing people, um, we started to see what, what language is really about. We're being Mm -hmm. forced to look at each other for extended periods of time, right? Like, like thanks to zoom, we have to look at each other. We might not be dressed from the waist down, but we're having to look at each other, (laughs) but in sign language, it incorporates all of you and you have to look at each other while you're talking. So, you know, that's, that's what we do and it's such a visual language. And so we're trying to Incorporate that into our podcast.
0: That's cool. You know, I noticed one of your guests. I was actually looking at your website for your podcast. I noticed one of your guests was the uh, was act an actor from Sound of Metal. Yes, Paul which, Ray. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, and I, I watched that movie. In fact, I referenced that in one of my earlier podcasts. I was talking to a guest, and we were just discussing the importance of being still and being comfortable <laughs> in one's own skin and being comfortable with with, with self, you know, which is a big theme in that movie. Uh, so that was really cool to see that you did an interview. Uh,
1: so Paul Paul, Paul. Racy um, also has deaf parents. He grew up with deaf parents, and he is a sign language interpreter here in LA, and um, has been pursuing acting is for forty plus years. Mm. Finally, got his big. Oh, he's great. Beard. He was great in that movie, and he's a great guy. And he talks about stillness, and he's 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 the real deal, dude. Like he has mm-hmm. gone through addiction. Um, trauma. He mm-hmm. went to two tours in Vietnam and he wow. said, look, if I can be still, you can be still. And wow. uh, I've been working on it since I ever spoken to that. I spoke to that guy because it, it was really inspiring. That's great. Yeah, hard to do. Hey, let's circle back
0: around to your wife saying that this show ultimately in a roundabout way, do you two talk about this show much? Did you, do you watch it together? Have you ever watched our season together with your wife?
1: You know, it's funny. It's very hard to find our season. I I don't have maybe some VHS tapes somewhere, but like we have not watched it together. To answer your question, my mother-in-law keeps harassing me. She wants to watch the season. I I, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, We have not. She did watch it before uh, we met. So she was familiar Mm -hmm. with me and and the show. Um, But since then, uh, I realized that people don't want to know the real mm-hmm. truth or behind the scenes stuff they're like they really want to fall in love with the fantasy and they want yeah. to just enjoy watching it so we started you know we, we do we we have bachelor nights together still and we have a couple people come over and we yeah. watch and we chime in and um and then the, they're always like oh i wonder what that person's thinking and as, soon as i start to feel <laughs> like i'll like, tell you they're like shut up <laughs> <laughs> you don't know <laughs> you know you don't know <laughs> said no to you too <laughs>
0: what what do people have no clue about in some of those moments some of those but I mean, we talked a little bit about some of the behind the scenes stuff but what do you think viewers get wrong the most about the bachelorette or maybe the reality tv genre as a whole from a God, behind the scenes standpoint
1: so much pressure but i think think back to what we kind of talked about earlier was you know it just depends on who who have a conversation with before the cameras turn on you know Mm -hmm. you don't know which direction it's really going you know even even when we did that final rose like as i'm sitting in the green room you're listening to john paul's story and and the, the the audience is there and and i'm waiting you know i had a couple different conversations with different people that suggested that it could go a million different ways when i was sitting across from chris harrison and so in your mind, you're kind of like mentally preparing. And so people can see or misread your body language or your reaction when you're sitting on that couch. Um, you know, it, 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 there's a million things that are happening in, in that yeah. person's mind. In a lot of cases, it's just like, let me just survive this moment and get off the stage. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, I always think there's a couple things. I mean, one, they have so much footage of everybody. And like I said, they're trying to create these storylines. Or you, you said don't give them what they want, right? You, you made the mention to uh, the Virgin versus, uh, said Jewel abdul I think it was Will Chamberlain that had the Yes,
1: wrong basketball It was Will, that's all right. It's still a center, but
0: you know, and so they almost have enough footage that they can create a storyline for anybody the way they want, or they hype it up, you know, you're this and then they take it to the, to the extreme. You know, like if you just have one weird quirky personality trait or one weird thing in your background, then it becomes like, that is you, you are that, Kind of character. I also find it interesting. These, I remember the ITMs, the in the moments where yes. they would pluck us. And, and so, what that is, you'd you just be hanging out, talking, and all of a sudden they'd be like, "All right, Jerry, we're grabbing you for an ITM for an in the moment." Ryan, it's your turn for an ITM. So you go into this room, mind you, you've just been having fun, you're hanging out with everybody, and you've been plucked out. You're in this isolated room. I remember the guy that used to actually do these interviews with us. I think he was a former Marine interrogator, if I'm not mistaken. You're 100%
1: right. And I had a moment with that person because as you pointed out earlier, they know a lot more about us than we probably know about ourselves. And so when you go into these in the moments, you have this professionally trained military interrogator that just got like ISIS to confess. Um, all their darkest secrets and now they're asking about love and romance and yes. what our intentions are. It's over.
0: Like, exactly. Like we have no hope. I mean, we're, we're, we're putty in their hands. I mean, whatever you want. And so when people ask like, how can you profess or how come someone, someone profess their love after knowing someone for a day or a week? And I'm like, you got to recognize they are being, you're being pressured and you almost give them what they want. That's what I found. I, I would often find myself that Brian, you know, it seems like things are going really well with you and Jen. Do you love her? Hi, you know, I don't, I don't know if I love her. I, I, I feel like we've got a good connection. I want to see how things develop. And they'd be like, no, yes or no. Are you in love with Jen? Well, you know, I'm not a Peter. Yes or no. And finally, all you want to do is get out of that damn room and back out to the party with everyone else. And so you give them,
1: you give them what they well, want. That, that, that goes back to first, <laughs> my first kiss, right? With Jen, it was, it was, you yeah. know, we went out we we're in central park. We're in a rowboat. It was a group date. And we went out and we had a really great time. And and as good of as a time as you can have when there's a, a rowboat next to you with a camera crew and like they're trying to keep up and they're not they're trying to not fall into the water. So we had a conversation. We're like, okay, cool. We do this lap. And then we came back and they looked so disappointed. And they're like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, no. That's the perfect moment for your first kiss. And I'm like, was it? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like. Jen, would you have kissed me back if I kissed you? And she's like, I think I would have kissed you. And I'm like, all right, well, let's go back. So like we go go back and we're starting to row back. And this boat's following us around. And I'm like, okay, we had this little moment and we kind of like danced in the boat. And off to like over Jen's shoulder, there's Wendell eating a pretzel. Oh and, yeah! And like, what are you taking so long for? And I'm like, just relax.
0: So, no, Wendell was obsessive. I remember that in Central Park, obsessively. What is taking
1: them so long? Well, that's what took so long. I had to like, like do another round of rowing and and to build up enough courage to give her a kiss. And so we kissed. <laughs> and then you're aware of the kiss, right? You're like, oh man, get this. Yeah, your, your lips are dry. You got that white stuff in the corner. Uh, you're like, oh, yeah. poor Jen. Anyway, so we had our first kiss. <laughs> That was heavily encouraged by.
0: If, if if only you had had your oral B crest. Yes, uh, see, there you go. <laughs> if
1: you had it right then and there, you would have been. Oh, tired. exactly. That's why they showed us those things.
0: Oh uh, yes, Jerry, talk to me about the importance of putting oneself out there, and you've mentioned it a couple of times here, saying yes to the moment, just in general. I, I don't mean in referencing this show, but
1: in life. I. That's a that's an interesting question. You know, um, my dad had passed away when I was fifteen. And he was also deaf, and he got invited to play at a basketball camp at Syracuse University. And ultimately, he had the opportunity to go play ball there. And instead of that, he took a safer route, and he worked with his older brother at Kodak and raised me and had a family and all of those things. Anyway, um, I, up until the moment that he passed away, I, I, I always wondered— I could tell that he always wondered what life would have been like if he had taken that mm-hmm. other fork in the road. And so that's how I've always kind of lived my life. It's not, it hasn't been the easiest. I haven't always been right, but, but you know, if that moment comes up, I'm, I'm going to go take it. So I think that to answer your question about putting yourself out there, that's kind of what it takes, you know, um, it, it might not feel good and that might not be right, but you did it, and. Um, you know, I don't want to be a woulda, coulda, shoulda guy. So I, I, I put it out there. And and as a result of that, I feel like my life has been enriched because I get a chance to have these experiences like the show. Um, and with my podcast, that's my goal is to go meet other people that have, have different experiences than one that I've had. So, yeah, you just in order for people to give to you, you got to you got to put it out. Yeah, it's hard. No, and scary. It is hard. It is
0: hard. It's 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 hard. It's scary. You know, I just took a lieutenant's promotional test for the fire department that I work with, and I was I have not been that nervous in so long. And I think it was this being evaluated and all these battalion chiefs and judging, and you're showing your ability to handle tactics and running a big scene. Uh, But it's over and done with, and I'm so glad I went through it because there is so much importance. I agree of of just facing the moment you know when you want something still going for it and i know uh, myself and i think this is true for just about everybody you typically regret the things that you don't do a heck of a lot more than the things that you do and that's the only way that we can continue to to grow and evolve
1: and you realize it's not as scary as it, it's not as it scary to yeah me, right it's, like, it never it is it's the
0: anticipation
1: yeah it's the fear know? of the unknown with anything and then once you go kind of confront that and you're like oh I think that, that was. Then you state to say, "Oh, I mean, if I had another chance at that, I would have done it this yeah. way. I would have done it that way." You know, exactly, exactly. Now you talked about.
0: You just mentioned it briefly. You talked about it could have saved you a lot of therapy after the show. Did you actually need to receive counseling and therapy due directly to the show?
1: There had to be there, clearly. There was some issues underlying issues to begin with, right? So this this show is going to just bring all that stuff to the surface, and so. Um, no, I, I, wouldn't say as a direct result of the, show. Yeah. however, um, you know, back to what I said, there's no playbook, right? Like yeah. there was afterwards, there isn't a lot of handholding that the show does offer counseling if you need it. But I also felt like that was, you uh, manipulative, you know, I was worried that like, if I shared things with those counselors, then that might come back to bite me somehow. So, mm-hmm. um, I did, I did leave LA for a short period of time. I went and stayed with my family and, and, um, two weeks led to a couple of months of just living in my brother's basement and going to flag football practices and um, taking the kids and putting them on the school bus and, and that sort of thing. So it like grounded me again. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think, I think, especially during this pandemic, I think, you know, mental health is something that we all uh, could be paying a little more attention to and and taking care of ourselves a little bit better, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I didn't have the tools prior to the show. So, you know, it did send me down a spiral of confusion and and anxiety and stuff. Jerry, you are happiest when? Happiest. I am happiest when. Gosh, you know, the first thing that came to my mind is I'm happiest when I open my front door and my son goes, Daddy, and he kind of runs Mm -hmm. to the door. And the anticipation of where that conversation is going to go. It could be about video games or him wanting to go on an adventure or go to the pool or tell me about school, but the purest, most happiest moment that's, that's just arrives naturally is, is that it's like super innocent and and, and he says hi. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happiest when I'm with my crew and, and uh, you know, again, back to this past year and during the pandemic, you know, we, we, we're coming out of this thing, and and somehow, the grace of God and a lot of love and and uh, intention. You know, these four walls that we have here have been a playground, sort of a place of adventure. You know, yeah. and uh, you know, as hard as this year has been, um, I'm going to look back, and there's going to be some moments that 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 um, I'm going to miss. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's there there have been some special some special things that
0: have come from this as difficult as it has been. You you talk about that with your with your son and your crew. I was watching my daughter play softball just last night. She had a softball game. And I was just sitting there and I was just smiling. You know, I just had this permigrant on my face watching her out there. She actually got an opportunity to pitch for the first time ever. And it was just so it's just so cool seeing this little, this little bean (laughs) that's a part of you. Or
1: or raising humans, man.
0: Yes, I know. It's so crazy and thriving in life. And sometimes in my better moments, I mean, obviously I have plenty of uh, poor moments where I'm completely in a bad space and and don't always appreciate them as as much as I should. But when I'm in my good moments, such as I was last night, it's just this almost bliss and serenity. And I just, I, I can just watch them. And it, fills me with joy and happiness just watching them run amok. It's, it's
1: great. Yeah, man. It's it's all the cliches, you know, we, we had some challenges getting here. Um, but after the birth of Asher and and seeing who he is today, it's like, we hit a home run, you know, Mm. like we, we really got lucked out. We, we just have a really great kid and, um, yeah, it's not easy. And, and, uh, there's definitely those, those hair pulling moments, but there's way more joy that comes out of it than anything else. No, for sure, a non-living thing you cannot live without. A non-living thing that I can't mm-hmm. live without. Um, God, my son would say it's my cell phone because I'm on it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get rid of it. It's just these devices are killing me. Um, a non-living thing. Jeez, Ryan, you hit me with these hard questions. Have you, watched, questions the, have you watched Have you watched the
0: uh, Have you watched the Social Dilemma?
1: I watched, the, I watched The Social Dilemma, and it spoke to me. <laughs> like a for, for a couple, it spoke to me for a day or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it actually spoke <laughs> to me a lot. It's like, I've got to get rid of this thing, and then next thing I know, I'm like, damn it. And then you back on it. But then It's just, you know, algorithms and manipulation. It's oh, like, gosh. Clearly, we like that stuff, because that's why how we ended up on that dating show.
0: That's right. Okay, on the topic of saying yes to the moment, you have to do something that you're scared to do. What is your process of quieting that fear and proceeding
1: anyways? I think the process is to be still with yourself for a moment and try to figure out what it is that you're actually afraid of or what you might be projecting onto this this particular thing and and so get still and uh, run towards that thing that you're afraid of, whether it's researching it a little bit further or asking more questions. Um, but that's what I'll typically do. Is, if there's, there's something that I'm, I'm afraid of, I, I, I want to dive deeper into it. But you got to get still okay. with yourself first. Try to get a little chill. Still first. Yep. Get there. Get to that point.
0: Yeah. All right. Last question for you. What does it mean to be brave? In the
1: words of Jerry Ferris. God, it's a great question. What does it mean to be brave? I think as I'm looking at you, I think about what you do for a living and how you impact people. I, 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 think, I think that's bravery. I think of my mom who uh, was widowed. You know, my dad was in a car accident. And so she had to go and become mm-hmm. the sole provider and a parent of a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, 11-year-old herself overnight while having what some would say is a disability though she never led with it being a disability she just never complained and she went and tackled it head on so Mm -hmm. uh, you know she's my hero and and she's brave you know so I, I I look at that like I just think bravery is just you know facing your fears and and trying and doing what you can to overcome those obstacles to to uh to make it happen Jerry,
0: I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. It's great connecting with you, man. And let's make sure it's not so long again in the future. I'd love to get the families together.
1: I would I would love that, man. And I got to thank you for this opportunity because ever since you reached out, I've been beaming inside and it's just been fun connecting with you and, and Wendell. And it's been awesome kind of sharing these stories. And, um, you know, our lives have gone in a pretty positive direction since the show it's great to see so it's like it's it's awesome so thanks for for creating this platform and being open and and vulnerable and sharing and i wish you lots of luck
0: i appreciate it jerry and i will definitely get wendell on for a one-on-one with him and also best of luck and for everybody listening be sure to check out thirsty for knowledge podcast appreciate it man all right man we'll talk soon take care be good And that's a wrap on this episode of The Bravest Kind with your host, Ryan Schaefer. Be sure to check out my website, ryanschafer.com. That's R-Y-A-N-S-H-E-A-F-F-E-R.com for more podcast episodes and information happening in my world. Also, don't forget to subscribe to The Bravest Kind podcast. And if you feel so inclined, please take a moment to leave us a rating for the show. We'll be back at it with a new guest next week. Until then, be brave and be kind in your own lives.